Thanks, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Dr. Cowan and Friends. And uh, this is the first time I've had a friend on twice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel special. Do yeah. I get a badge? <laughs> so this, I'm in new territory here uh, because everybody else has been once. And then I say, that's enough of them. Or I'm mostly kidding because everybody has been so... Uh, helpful and informative and amazing. And it's mostly me who can't think of what else <laughs> to ask them. But, uh, but Allison's different, uh, so why? So first of all, I think everybody should listen to the first interview we did, which is a few months ago, and you can find it on our channels. And basically we set the stage for talking about essentially what's happening now is a kind of game that's being played. And in order to, you know, in order to win at the game of Scrabble, it's helpful to know the rules. Because if you don't know, like if you're playing basketball and you don't know that if you step out of bounds, the other team gets the ball, you become at a disadvantage. And so the point is we don't want people to be at a disadvantage. And while I wouldn't, necessarily there's something about the phrase knowledge is power that I don't like actually I don't know if you thought about that but it would seem right right the more you know the more power you have I think there's a better word for it because sometimes people who have a lot of knowledge use that in ways that aren't so good yeah. so I would say wisdom is power not necessarily, and I don't know if I like the word power either. Wisdom or insight can lead you to take different actions. And that's, I think, what we're doing here is once we understand a, the game and the, the, you know, the, the intricacies of the game, because this is a pretty complicated game we're playing. And by the way, I don't know anybody who can explain the intricacies any, any better than Allison, which is why I wanted to bring her on so to do an update. <clears throat> so with that, uh, uh, and we just talked about a few updates, but Allison, if you could, in the last few months, I'm sure you're uh, studying this, looking into it, hearing more. And I also know that what happens is that when you <clears throat> become somebody who people trust, people send you things, right? All the time, you know, like, look at this. And a lot of it doesn't amount to much, but some of it does. And that's how, you know, I've learned more after writing my books than I ever knew before. Uh, because people send me about the heart, which I never knew before. Right. Um, so anyways, with that, tell us what's new in the last few months and then uh, we, I, we heard, I just heard something about a very interesting connection, I think, with the Vatican and something else. So let's right. get into Well, it. I just want to say how much I appreciate your background because, you know, I, when I came into all of this, it wasn't anything about health or, I mean, this past year has been a huge learn. I was great on the finance, right? And I was good on education. And I had a tiny little smidge about like digital analytics and health economics, which is what Penn was after, but I didn't. And my, my framing is largely also embedded in, in natural systems because 
um, you know, I have the benefit of when I'm not doing this, I actually have been working at a botanic garden, not as a horticulturalist, but as a um, membership person. But so in this past year, I have my job has changed radically and I've actually been able to spend a lot more time like on this land and we're in a very unusual setting on the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia and it's post-industrial. This, this is a um, Lenape land, but uh, was 18th century. Uh, John Bartram, he was a plant capitalist essentially. <laughs> he took things and sent them places, right? And so like genetic material and all sorts of interesting things like that. So like I have this relationship and understanding that and then having connections to um, like teachings of indigenous scholars, right? Like understanding webs of relationship and the positionality of humans in a larger natural system and that we are maybe not the top dog in all of these things, or we shouldn't be, right? Like we're the hubris of, um, especially me existing on this post-industrial landscape and seeing the wreckage, seeing, see, having this, this green area in the midst of refineries. Pen Philadelphia was one of these early refinery because came out of uh, Titusville was where they found the first oil. And so like, I've seen this, I have this. And then when we're, we're, we're in this game, I think we, it's imperative that we understand that the stakes are not simply just about human life, um, but that it's, it's actually about all carbon water based life, like that this, this game, which seems to be that their intended endpoint is to transition us, as you've mentioned from like carbon to silicon, like to this other way of being, um, is something that isn't simply intended for human life, but all of it. And so in taking and figuring out how we in how we respond to the game that we've been thrown into, the stakes are not simply for us, but for the existence of life on this planet as we know it, which um, I, I think it's often we get really, people get dug into like our freedoms, but I think our freedoms are intertwined with our relations to, to the moss and to the waters and to the, to all the invertebrates. And, you know, and that's, to me, that's really important. And what, when you talk about the terrain theory and understanding your environmental toxicity. Like I work in a toxic environment with high level power lines and refineries. And it's a, it's a, a, a semi-natural, I mean, it's been man managed, but it's navigated. Like, what does that look like? And as we talked about in the previous, um, our previous talk, that this game is essentially hedge funds, you know, with using let me, military. Let me, let me stop you for a minute yeah. there because I, I want to, uh, actually, I didn't expect to do this, but I want to throw out two things, possibly even maybe correcting what you said. Okay, that's fine. <clears throat> or, or maybe not correcting, but uh, let, me, let me just try to throw a different light on this. Okay. So, so the first one, I, I think it's a very interesting subject, which is, are human beings the top dogs here? Now, I think, so the way I would look at it is from a certain sort of colonial mentality, we decided that we have, we are the top dogs, we have dominion over the earth. And by the way, then we went and screwed it up, <laughs> right? That's <Eat> that way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's... Now, here, here's the interesting counter reaction to that. Okay is we shouldn't see ourselves as top dogs. That concept of, you know, humans having dominion over the earth 
and being top dogs is erroneous. It's flawed. We should get rid of it. And we should be like the snails. I agree with you. Now, I don't agree with that. You don't? No. Okay. (laughs) Tell me why. (laughs) Here's here's why. So I I actually think there is some, some sort of lawfulness in the fact that we, in fact, do have, you could say dominion, but I think there's a better word for that. We actually have responsibility for all of this, all of the creations on the earth. Now that's a different concept because if you have responsibility, uh, then the, the, the health and the survival of the snails and the ferns and the mosquitoes, that is partly our responsibility, if not largely. In other words, we, we, have, we don't have a choice of not being responsible. We have the choice of being responsible in a, in, or not. not, not being responsible. And so I think the idea that we shouldn't have dominion is a trap. We got dominion whether we like it or not. Now, we gotta, we gotta use that dominion for the betterment of, of the dolphins and the squirrels. And that should be the question. Does this hedge fund help the dolphins? Does this glyphosate factory, does that help the insects and the beetles? And if the answer is no, we have a responsibility to not do that. All right. What do you well, think about that? So, so this, so Robin Wall Kimmer is the one who really has like kind of framed out my thinking. I don't know if you know of her work because she's up at the SUNY Forestry School. But she's, so she has this several, her specialty is moss actually, but um, she's a biologist, but indigenous, she's citizen Potawatomi Nation. And so in her book, she talks about, you know, I I don't disagree, but that we are in terms of beings on the planet, that we are the younger siblings. Like there are much older beings that we, and our pace and our going in and wrecking things, like we're, we, we should, we would do better to learn, like to have, like pace ourselves and look like in the world, learn from the other beings rather than just, you know, rushing forward as if we know all this stuff, which we don't know all this stuff. And for me, I guess the responsibility question becomes she frames it and in other indigenous as right relationship. Yeah. Are you a good relative? Are you, so in, in relative, again, you are talking about knowledge is power. And I think in this, like we have this profound power imbalance, like power and wealth imbalance on the planet is that restoring the balance seems to be an imperative. Like to me, it's in this reckoning point, how does one restore balance? And then how does one restore balance um, in relationship, I think? And then in a, in a seeking a balance, is there, is it, is it good to strive that someone has a dominance in the relationship or, or not like, and, and so I don't, I think clearly we are exerting an imbalance of power on the earth or how we work in the earth. And even up to the point of, you know, weaponizing weather and geoengineering and throwing satellites into the cosmos. And, you know, we're, we've continued to upscale like our level of attempted domination of this thing. And I, I don't think that mother, you know, the natural system will ultimately, just allow all of that to happen uncontested. But um, for me, it's sort of like, how do we be in relationship? Yes. And, and then um, 
and knowing that we already have disproportionate power in that relationship, how do we work to better that? I think yeah. is is sort of where I'm. At. I think we're we're very we're very close. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, but I I only want to point out. Yeah, I just wanted to say that thinking that we're just yeah we're the younger stupider member of this community. <laughs> yeah, we're but we still have a lot of power. Bossing everyone around. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the stupidest one thinks it should tell the other ones what to do. Yeah. Fact of the matter is it does have a lot to say, un maybe unfortunately, but that's the way it is. Well, I think that's like when I found out that the army, like TRADOC, like training and command division or whatever, like had a mad scientist division, like I mean, they have a YouTube channel, right? <laughs> you know, like when I say this stuff isn't hidden, you know, it's really like, it was like the mega city urban warfare guide with the mad scientists. I'm like, this is real. Like, this is not a parody account. This is actually a thing. And they're like, oh yeah, they have pins and badges that go with it. So like, clearly those of us who find out about such things um, that this stuff is running forward need to be responsible relatives and be like at least lift this up and say, shouldn't we be talking about this guys? You know, shouldn't, you know, and I had sent you some information about Penovation, which is just up the river from us. And it's, you know, it's this legacy of, um, you know, environmental catastrophe that was built on this former pleasure garden ground, you know, Lenape land and pleasure gardens, then it became DuPont and they tested Teflon there. And, you know, anybody who hasn't seen Dark Waters, you know, Mark Ruffalo's film and understanding, like I'm getting a better understanding of the environmental toxicity. like. I go to work daily in, in an environment that has been in intentionally poisoned. Yes. And, and many of the people who live in that part of the city, um, it's also the trash. We have one of the historic trash transfers plants just north of our, like one of the first plants where they would squeeze oil out of garbage. <laughs> you know? yes. these, these histories, right? That we prefer not to really think about them, but, and now, you know, trash and recycling and, um, and people are being poisoned, right? And yeah. so now what's happening is the game that I talked about last time is that you will put um, people who are put in impossible situations often on pathways, pathways, continuum of care pathways, health pathways, educational pathways, and give them a, a list of to-do things. Like give them an interminable list that they'll never be able to get done and say, if you want to have access to housing or food or these things, you have to do all this limitless numbers of things on your continuum of care pathway. And now we have technology to make sure you did them yeah. and it'll be wearable technology. It'll be screen technology and soon it will be biosensors. And some of those are health pathways. And, and this is, I'm kind of interested in, in some of this because uh, chronic diabetes, that's one of the big social impact bonds. That's gonna be a big game. The so first, what do you mean first, by social impact bonds? Let's get basic here again. Okay, so the social impact bond, it's a fiction of global finance, okay? We all have to understand this is not, this exists, it's kind of like what you were saying about the PCR tests and the fragments. It's a thing that exists in a virtual world yes. that they say is real, but isn't materially real in the real world. But for the purposes of financial trading, it is real. And so it is essentially turning people's relationship to the state, to their commons, to their governance into a debt commodity. It is using um, data profiling of people based on where they were born, you know, to an unborn baby, like your parents' education, your genomics, your income, all of these things, a profile of you to say, 
even before it's pre-crime, before anything has happened, you are going, you are this likely to be uh, unemployed, uh, depressed, uh, have diabetes, have addiction issues. Um, these are all the things that are, are potentially wrong with you and they all have a price. And is this being compiled now or is this for the future? Well, they have pilot programs. So the first one was, so there's a cost offset. So everything has a price. So they'll say the cost of being, you being incarcerated is X amount of money. And we all know those numbers because they've been lifted up for so long. Oh, they know how many prisons to build based on the third grade test scores. They've been tracking these numbers for a long time. So the first one was the Peterborough Social Impact Bond in the UK. And this is Ronald Cohen, uh, you know, he's with social finance, he's with Apex Capital Partners, he's the father of British Venture Capital. And he's working with, you know, the crown, whatever, to set up these impact bonds about, in this case, it was recidivism, that if we did a program in the prison, you would be less likely to reoffend. Now, again, all of these are predicated that you being incarcerated is based on your exclusively on your own personal behavior and not structural things that might Right. compel someone into being part of the judicial process. Right. Um, but that's how it goes. So Michael Bloomberg brought that idea to the United States with Harvard Kennedy School and Stanford. And they did one at Rikers Island. They did a similar impact bond. And then and then they started scaling it to other things like universal pre-K. And, and people uh, invest in these bonds. Yes. So Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, the Vatican, UBS Optimus, uh, QB Insurance. It's just like if you imagine that they needed something to invest in. The last time this happened was the toxic mortgages. Yeah. They, they, they created a market of toxic debt so that they could continue their gambling game. And we talked about that a little bit, like they're the guys playing you know, poker, the invitation only poker game in the closet. You know, we don't get to really see the ins and outs of that game, but in order for the, the imbalance of wealth to continue to work under capitalism, they have to keep their money flowing. So now they're just in the back room trading it amongst each other. Yeah. Because the people cannot possibly consume enough or earn enough to keep the, the, the capital flowing at this point. It's just not. So essentially, these social impact bonds are creating, the game is you've been predicted into this terrible outcome. We've aligned these different solutions to be imposed on you that will extract data to tell us how you're doing and how compliant you are with the solutions we've imposed on you. And, and we're going to track you on this pathway. And, and then some of us are gonna bet that you get to the end of the pathway and succeed, but then others of us are going to package this debt and short your future and package that you don't get to the end of the pathway, all right? And so some of those are uh, workforce training, like we are gonna train you because you're a waitress and you lost your job because of lockdown. And now we're gonna train you to be a biotechnician to, to develop technologies for transhumanism. Right? right? Like, cause that's what we want. We really want everybody to be transhumanist. So we, we've made you lose your job. Now we're gonna put you on a training pathway so that you can become part of this machine that will make us transhuman. Or we're going to put you on a pathway to turn you into a coder and you can clean up, you know, machine learning data so that the autonomous vehicles can drive safely, you know? And how, how does a person like hear about that or get, do, they, do you get a notice? Like, Joe, it's time to go sign up for being a, 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 a quote driver. <laughs> well, a lot of this will be welfare to work, right? So you'll go and you'll apply for assistance. And this is happening. I actually have a contact in Australia because they're very far advanced with all of this. The, you know, 
these bonds are going to be put on blockchain and the World Bank has something called the bond I uh, QBE insurance is down in, in Australia and they're a major player in this so they've actually developed programmable benefits on blockchain for disability. It's programmed money, you can only use certain ways. So if you go and apply for assistance, they're going to say, well, you have to be part of our workforce training plan to qualify to get benefits. And these benefits will be restricted. And that's what the central banking digital currency is about. And you will have to show, and this has been this way since the 90s here. I mean, Clinton, you know, was part of all of that, you know, um, demonstrate your compliance with the program. Now, the reality is, is that in so the So let me end, see if I got this. So, so they set up a, here are your benefits. They, the, the benefits are paid out in essentially currency that can be used only in very specific Ways. ways like all parts in this place and this movie theater and then is you have to demonstrate steps in this compliance in order to access these uh yeah. that you get and then you can go get food and and laundry detergent and whatever yeah it's behavioral script like if you imagine what it was like living in a company town yeah it's like a company and, and you can't take your script to some other town you're stuck in that town and google and alphabet are behind all of this like they want your health they want all of the, you know so and it's all framed as like uh, much of it will be wellness much of it will be preventative health care right. and and the thing that i find really interesting about um these pathways so one of them will be a diabetes pathway right we've identified that you are pre-diabetic therefore you must perform these health behaviors we're going to track what you eat we're going to track your fit step counts we're going to track all of these things well my understanding and, and you know, i would be interested if you you have thoughts on this but that that there is an element of electrical, like they talk about dirty electricity, creating conditions that lead certain types of people to become pre-diabetic. Yes. That, and, and I even was looking at, you know, our Furstenberg's book, The Invisible Rainbow, at the very beginning, they were saying like the electricity was linked to things like diabetes, like this shift in how electricity was managed. And so imagine now you're building a transhumanist world like these crazy people think that we're going to live as cartoon characters in the internet of bio nano things in a, you know, online video simulation. And they want our actual body to feel terrible so that we won't really want it anymore. We just want to get out of this body. And to get there, you have to create chronically ill people. And if you can create, manage your chronically ill population with these innovative debt instruments, like your diabetes pathways, knowing that you're going to put up all this five and six G telecom infrastructure that will irradiate them and make them sick. And there's no way they can get out of that. And they won't know that that's what's making them sick, but you'll give them a DNA nudge band uh, to track their food for their snap food assistance. And you'll give them a Fitbit, all of which are also electrical to track their step count and a smart shirt and smart shoes, and maybe some biosensors. And you're going to track everything about their compliance, but they'll just get sicker and sicker because the thing that's making them sick is the world not that their personal behavior is the thing that they're doing wrong, but it becomes a bodily policing mechanism. Right. And no one will know any differently. And so to me, that, that's the thing that interests me. And along the way, as they're going to continue to process you, not only through your healthy behaviors, but maybe, you know, here's your GMO food. This was the thing that shocked me, this, this plant that I, I went to to do this revocation where Penovation is, and Johnson & Johnson has a disruptive health lab there. 
um, was a former DuPont plant. And um, DuPont is actually getting into the microbiome. What is like a DuPont disruptive health plan? Well, you know, everything is disruptive now, right? Like they want to push telehealth, telemedicine, nanomedicine, swallow a pill, have a drone fly you around. I mean, they have these crazy ideas of what medicine is, but medicine will continue to be about an ineffectual processing to extract data for these various, um, both the, the nature of big pharma will be, is morphing into digital therapeutics and nanotherapeutics and gene cell therapies. And that's what's happening at the Vatican now is that the Vatican has invited all of these gene cell therapy people to come and talk about preventative care. They're going to give you cell therapies to prevent illness and make these financial markets. And that's all going to be tracked on your electronic health record. So all of your right. compliance will be part of this. And that's what Zeke Emanuel set up with the ACA was the digital tracking. And so that is what these medical passport systems are going to be. Yeah, it's not so simply going to be, can you get on an airplane? It's, well, I call them medical because I don't, I think ultimately, and I, I've talked with Sarah a little bit about this is that if you frame it as the way they want to frame it using the language they want to use, the plan is to have biosensors determine what your ability to move in the world is. Yeah. And once you have a bio biosensor technology, that is not going to be the same as what they're calling it now. So I would rather call it like a medical status passport because you might get out of bed in the morning and go toilet yourself. And then the toilet says you're not allowed to do anything else that day. <laughs> so that doesn't have anything to do with what they're calling it now. So I'm going to the end game uh, as best I can see it. And the end game is your smart toilet telling you if you can access your wallet to get on the bus. Yeah, got it. And so, so <laughs> yeah. I'll let you, what do you think? Uh, here, so one thing, here's what I think. Uh, one of the revelations that came for me out of studying um, the effect of electricity on living systems, right? Yeah. That's really what we're talking about and wireless devices and EMFs and all that. So it turns out that there are two things that have been well studied that actually make people live longer. This has been studied in earthworms, in rats, in monkeys, and in humans. Mm -hmm. And the first one, more or less, everybody has heard of, which is if you don't eat, if you eat less, uh, then you live longer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in other words, it, it, you know, if, uh, calorie is not a good measurement of really how much you eat, but let's just say it is. If you take somebody normally on a, and they're eating a 2000 calorie diet and you, t and you make them eat 1500 calories a day, they will live longer, have less chronic disease and be incredibly irritable most of their life. <laughs> they'll live long yeah. and be grumpy. <laughs> they'll, they'll be healthy, long lived and grumpy. Okay. And that goes for earthworms, monkeys, humans, flies, etc. So it, it's an interesting, you know, disease remediation strategy, especially if you don't mind being grumpy. Right. Because uh, you're hungry all the time and it's a miserable way to live. The other, interestingly, and, and, and the thought is that basically by starving somebody, you slow down their metabolism. And in a sense, they build up less waste products, right? Okay. 
So they build up less garbage and they, they just, uh, you know, they don't do much because they're too hungry <laughs> and tired, but they're not building up waste products and it actually helps get over most diseases. Don't tell the impact investors that, okay, Tom? Don't okay. tell that to Michael Bloomberg. I, I will. Well, he already <laughs> figured out the other one, which believe it or not, is exposure to low level electromagnetic fields. That, and it's been one of the, you know, what, one of the things in my whole life, because like you, I was very interested in indigenous people. Yeah. And, and one of the things that people say, well, don't we live longer now than we did, you know, 100, 200, 400 years ago? Uh, the interesting answer is that the sort of normal people actually not so much. We live more or less the same. But a lot of people earlier times died of stuff earlier than we do. Yeah. Uh, but, but if it's true that we live two, three, four years longer, at least we used to, the reason is because over time we've exposed to more and more electromagnetic fields and it has a very similar effect as starvation or calorie restriction, which is to decrease your metabolism. But here's the big difference with fasting or calorie restriction, you generate less waste products uh -huh. with EMF exposure, you have lower metabolism and you generate more toxicity. Wow. So you get more sick, every single chronic disease, arthritis, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, depression, schizophrenia, every single one of these disease goes up and yet you still live a few months longer. And wow. And that is a perfect like if you had to be the maker of the recipe for how do you gain money if you want to use that word wow. or power over people uh, you can you actually get people to be a sicker, right? So they right. need drugs and, you know, or they don't need drugs. What they need is to stop exposure to electromagnetic fields, maybe eat less for a while, then they eat normal and they'll be fine. Uh, so, but there's, they live longer. So you've got a, a captive audience for a little bit captive. longer yeah. uh, who's sick and needs help because they can't survive. And so that wittingly or unwittingly became the strategy. And the more, now, if you push that too far, right? You just outright poison somebody, then they just die. Right. So, so you, can't, you can't like turn it up too high, too fast. And whenever they've tried to do that, they get a, a rapid die off. Right. Right. Yeah. Like too much. Oh, well, we we can't turn the five G up all the way right now because then you know hundred million people die tomorrow and people will say notice. Hey, hey what, <laughs> what's what going on with dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> so you do it slow. People sort of adapt. They end up. Uh, it's like suspended animation. And and by the way, the only other thing I I had a a, a very slight quibble is. We're not going from a carbon to a, a silica world. We're going from a water, water. to a silica. Yeah. Because okay. the, the effect of the electromagnetic fields 
is to decrease the coherence of your water. And you need to learn more about your water stuff. I feel yeah. like that's really important. It is, it's huge because for instance, you know, the, the, a, the, a living system is a living water crystal that is a holographic system that downloads information. Now it's meant to download information from the plants that you're working with and your friends and the sun and et cetera. And then it changes subtly, right? Yeah. And, and even your brain is the highest water. It's 80% water as opposed to 70. So a thought is a downloaded information and in the part of your body that's, that's most tuned to that. And then it changes. The difference with quartz or silica is it can't change. Well, so this is, I have a question, or I'm, I'm curious what you think about this, because one of the things that was the most shocking to me that I'm trying to get my, get a grip on is, so Penn is part of this National Nanotechnology Institute network. You know, they have all of these, you know, so many nanotech institutes all over the country now, but, you know, Penn is, Penn is one of them. They're, they're getting grants from the NSF to put um, nanotech in the soil, right? But yeah. they have a national conference and not just Penn, but all of these, they get together. And one of the primary focuses of the nat use for nanotech is in water purification. Yeah. So I'm really interested is like, do these people understand what you're saying about the importance of water? And then to what extent would nanotech, potentially nanorobotics or nanoelectronics in water systems play in their demented, plan to try to like, if we're water beings, like colonizing the, the water system with nano seems to be that you would be your go-to that plus the frequencies, you know, the- Yes, so here, here's the answer. And it's again, so why is water the basis of life? It's it, because it's water and, and a quartz, which is silica, which is computers, right? Right. Those are the two archetypal crystalline structures in nature, right? They both have uh, infinite number of binding sites. They both are holographic in that a little piece is the same as the big piece. Oh, okay. And they can both store any kinds of information. That's why they're computers. So, the, and interestingly, I've, I've often asked the question, so why aren't we made of quartz? The answer is because quartz can't change. It just adds more bits. And so if you, you just put more bits of information where water, every time you add a new information to the system, like a person comes into your life, mm -hmm. just to, as an example, your water goes from like this to like this. Now you've had, you have a new, you're, you're different. Yeah. Wow. You are now a, now you could say that the game you're playing is to make the perfect water crystal. And that's like, you could say Christ consciousness, right? Yeah. That's merging with the Godhead. So what a life is, is the continual evolving of the crystal based on your experiences. You hurt yourself. Yeah you recover, you have, you're better, your water is more coherent. 
you, you learn something new, your water becomes, it's different. Wow. Now, if you could get into that system and put a, a, a signal to stop the water from changing, <laughs> that's like, that's game over. Because now you are a silica-based organism. And you can process a lot, right? But you can't change. And in the meantime, the wearable tech and the smart environments and the money you spend and your health records are, I think that the blockchain is the silicon being. Yes. Because the way they talk about it is it's immutable. I mean, whether or not it truly yes. is, but they frame it as an immutable ledger. So it's only accreting. Right. It's never changing. It's, it's just never, right. aggregating. It's accreting more and more layers and getting more and more complex, complex. Yes. but it's not fundamentally morphing in any way. No. It's just it's this linear that. system. And here's the argument that they, that they use that they actually do use, which is, yeah, but Allison, wouldn't, wouldn't you, I mean, course lives for a million years. You will be immortal. <laughs> wow. Right. I don't want to be immortal <laughs> like that. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, wow. I'm already immortal because it turns out that the, the, the water system, which is the water collects the spirit, that's immortal anyways. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to be immortal that way. The dust part. That's why what you're finding out is the mechanism of how they're accomplishing this transformation. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm stumbling into it. I mean, right. because I always thought coming in this before that, that the end game was the money, what was a balance of money and social control, right? That they're pivoting to a world where it was automation. They were going to have excess labor. They need to make money off of it, but it isn't, I mean, isn't. that is a part, but the end game is ultimately a shift in life on this planet into something that is unlike anything that I think most of us would agree to. Yes. And it's being done in some very subtle ways. And again, I think within a knowledge of science where there's a lot of knowledge that is occulted, right? Like there's, there's knowledge that is not publicly known. There's, there's dual use, right? There are these you know, the brain initiatives, these cancer and genomics researches, which they poison us, then they put their money into these programs, these R&D programs that may be used to develop certain treatments or, but ultimately they're to learn how the machine of life works so that they can create, recreate it in a digital format, I, I believe, and manage it towards that end. Yes. And that's, that's hard. I mean, that's hard point to come because it's so much more than whatever this immediate health situation is. It's this, it's a foundational understanding yes. of how knowledge is, is being weaponized against life. And yes. then again, those of us who are in a position of starting to understand what that means to, to be good relatives in speaking out for that life system. Yes. We are the, the, the spokespeople for life. <clears throat> That's why we have a responsibility. And you know, what's interesting about this is, I, I don't know that I believe what I'm about to say, but I'll say it anyways. One could imagine that there aren't nefarious motivations, at least among some people. 
they could, you could imagine somebody saying, look, you know, human beings would live longer. And, and if we stabilize them in this silica medium, then they won't even break down. Like, yeah. you know, a quartz crystal doesn't break down. It's just the same. And so you get to be part of your family, sort of, <laughs> for a thousand years. Why, what's your problem? Tom, what, what's your problem? Like, why isn't that a good thing? And I mean, I don't actually think it's quite so naive as that by any means. I mean, my I problem think is that's on specialization. Human. Yeah. So people my problem just... is that's not human life. No. So I don't want it. I don't care how long I live as a robot. I don't want to live a day <laughs> as a robot. Exactly. Yeah, we don't want to be Sophia, the robot, for sure. Yeah, right. You know, and you know, it's it's hard. <laughs> you know, I I said before we started recording, I think just to come out of the cave, right? And then you came, and really, these academic papers are written. I have a, have a wonderful friend who she she blogs on a lot of the nanotech stuff. You know, people like as you said, people share like because we do have this collective. We do have this sort of people sharing gift economy of knowledges that we're doing that isn't strictly on blockchain yet. And, you know, and she's working a lot on the nano stuff. And, you know, she's like, Allison, I'm, I have this 900 page book on transhumanism, you know, <laughs> tucking into here you go. And, you know, here's a, here's the table of contents on blockchain, right? Cause you know, I've been kind of in the weeds with the blockchain people lately. And, you know, it's all about like entering into hive mind consciousness um, with machines, really, yeah. they talk about um, and and payment, currency payment, and ideas, and um, you know, there just have to be a lot more ethical and spiritual conversations around what um, what kind of life that is, right? Like, and and who's choosing, who's making those choices, and foreclosing those choices, because you know, I think it's it's very clear that this Vatican gathering, this unite to prevent. Um, so, so tell us a little about that, just to get it into the details here. Yeah, so I've been following the, I mean, you know, as we know, you know, the, the, the crown or these powers or whatever, the Vatican City, the Vatican Bank is in and of itself, like a longstanding uh, player in all of this. And I, I frame this really as um, the doctrine of discovery or domination, whatever you want to call it, that this enslavement goes at least back 400 plus years to the, this papal bull. Um, and they've also got a lot of money to run through these social impact bonds, but they're doing crazy things. You know, they've got their, um, you know, their giant telescope, you know, in Arizona, the Vatican telescope, and you know, they're, they're, they're all sorts of knowledges that, that the Vatican has. So, but they partnered with Notre Dame Business School, Mendoza Business School, back, I believe it was 2014. They had their first social impact conference. And they've had three. They had one in 14, 2014, 2016, 2018. And Ronald Cohen, who I had mentioned was the father of UK uh, venture capital and the social impact bond. He was a speaker, Pierre Omidyar of eBay was a speaker, Silicon Valley. Um, and they're all talking about the creation of these human capital bond markets. And even in one of these talks, I can't remember which year it was, but they had a nun who was an economist. And she said, I'm so excited. The church in the next 20 years, we're gonna be the head of innovation. We're gonna be the conscience of big business. Um, it's gonna be just like 15th century Florence with the bishops in charge of the big books of economic decision-making, moral economic decision-making maybe it was. And so to me, I'm like, 
you're going to blockchain religion. Like all of the rules of religion, you are going to turn faith or Christ consciousness or this mystical connection one has to the creator into a smart contract. Like that is what they're doing. And that is very much a smart contract. So a smart contract is essentially an automated contract that's it's binary. It's sort of yes, no. Like were the terms met, were the terms of this contract met that can be verified in a data point, right? Yes or no, check the box. And, and increasingly now technology, wearable technologies and other things will be able to check those boxes automatically. So um, like I said, there might be a smart contract between your smart toilet and your smart door lock. That if you, you know, there's a data point that says, if this box remains unchecked, you're allowed to go outside. The moment this box gets checked, you can't go out for 14 days, you know, something. And, you know, so everything in your life becomes a smart contract, but, and there are little ones in micro contracts and macro contracts, but that's what blockchain ostensibly is supposed to be really good at is these cross-border contracts and payments. And And that's to get that down to, to reality, you have a smart toilet. And it's sensing your microbiome, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. It says that it knows what a healthy microbiome is, even though there's no way to actually know that. Yeah. It senses it, says, oh, you're not good today. Lock the door because that's connected and and disable your uh, car or your ride share thing. You're not going anywhere. You need to have a better microbiome reading in your toilet or you're, you're home for good, but <laughs> Exactly. Well, and the, the, I mean, the other thing about this, you had mentioned about the frequencies and waste and the diabetes, but depression. So, yeah. so, so. So we this, get depressed. No, but no, but so, but we know, so this is the thing about the microbiome. Like, and I didn't even know nothing about the microbiome a year ago, but so Jim Heckman, who is a key figure in making these equations for these impact investments, um, he's out of, you know, no surprise, University of Chicago, Becker Friedman School of Economics. He's a Nobel Prize winner, right? So we should listen to him. And um, but even though he's reprehensible. And um, so he he had a whole conference on social emotional learning. So this is in the schools. This is with my education hat back on. They really want to track children's emotional state because clearly we're making a world that's going to make them un unbalanced, right? So we're going to really track their emotional grit and rigor and resilience in this. So he, he had this whole conference on that. But then I went back to their channel. It's the Human Capital Economic Opportunities Group, HCEO at the University of Chicago. They had a whole separate conference on the microbiome. Jim Heckman wants your microbiome and he's talking gut brain health as a social impact, social determinants of health, social equity issue. So now guess what? DuPont's in the microbiome space, yeah. right? So, you know, they're going to, and we know about diabetes, like we, but depression. So th- there's all of these digital therapeutics, your telehealth, teletherapy, that they're going to manage your depression too. And they might manage it through your gut health and they might manage it through your online, um, you know, your text, you know, your chat bot, you know, text therapist, and they might make you watch a smart TV program or put on a smart v- VR headset. Bank of America is deeply into PTSD, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy research with VR with veterans. They're, you know, so all of these systems are layered. What if your microbiome says, oh, you need a little tune up. You better put on that VR headset today and do 15 minutes of your CPT therapy. And you don't do it. You're non-compliant. Yeah. 
And then your smart refrigerator doesn't unlock for three days. <laughs> you know, and I don't know that they could do all of these things, yeah. but I think we have to actually seriously consider as the most powerful and like wealth holding militarized interests in this planet are concentrating their effort in building this virtual spatial web world, why they're doing it and what it means. Because I think the ultimate game is they want to dispossess us from a physical body and mind, yeah. a water-based being into this thing. And you know, what's interesting in my role in this is actually when you go and study, does the microbiome, is there a way to say what a normal or healthy one is? And the answer is no. No. But they will have a rubric. They'll give you a rubric. Yeah, they'll, they'll definitely tell you. And I've been through this with some of the leaders in the country. And they say it's completely objective. And I say, so show me the data. And it's, it's, it's some computer assigning a number that this is better than this one based on a computer assessment of what's supposedly healthy and the whole thing is just one layer of nonsense after the other. And But you can see why now, because it's not really about health, it's going to be about smart contracts. Yes. So the imperative of having it something that you can standardize and have rules according to, is it, that is the imperative for the people who are working for this machine. It's yeah. not to like be wow, isn't it amazing that the variety of the microbiome and how different people navigate the world with their different microbiome? No, because they don't care. Right, or that it changes every 10 minutes, probably. Yeah. Uh, that, that's life, but, they, but that's unmanageable and un, probably investable. <laughs> exactly, and unshortable. Unshortable. Yeah. So these Vatican people, like, I mean, they're there, they're, they've, I mean, they've got, you can look up, it's called uh, Unite to Prevent. They've had several of these on healthcare. I was not aware of the healthcare ones until this one came onto my radar, but they've had several. Um, they have like Dr. Oz, like all of the popular medical figures are all, all of the, the media figures are, haven't been invited. Um, the gene therapy, it's backed by a, a woman, it's Cura Foundation, and they're doing all sorts of genetic therapies. Right. The gene therapies are also linked in with um, increasingly data analytics around mental health and behavior disorder. Right. And, and if you follow the narrative around that's been set up this past year around people who are questioning these larger narratives, it's clear that the setup is that those people have mental health problems, right? If you're a dissident, you're unstable, you're dangerous, you have that you, you need to be treated. Right. Um, so that is feeding right into the, the markets of engineered mindsets, you know, like we'll get you some food that you'll be compliant <laughs> to this program. And one of the sponsors is actually this person, uh, Sanford Health, T. Denny Sanford. And it's crazy, this thing about T. Denny Sanford. He's the a billionaire, not a big, big billionaire, but like two times over a billionaire, um, he made his money in loan shark credit cards, like high interest rate loan shark credit cards. And he then put his money into a healthcare system in the Dakotas. So he has a, a healthcare system in the Dakotas. And then he's also put money into social emotional learning software in, affiliated with Arizona State, which is Michael Crow, which is the CIA, and also National University, which is a private online education institution. So they're doing social emotional learning He's managing these health systems. He also endowed a center at UC San Diego 
I think it was UC San Diego for doing the neuro, uh, neurobiological basis of compassion for physicians. So they're gonna chart, they're gonna map it out because physicians are getting burnt out by their system. So they're gonna map out empathy and engineer neural, like they're talking about, they're gonna do neural engineering for empathy, but really not because this is all dual use. We know they're just gonna flip it and do the non-empathy part. But once they have the empathy down, they can do the non-empathy. And this guy, like he, his, his health system was found fraudulent for like pushing bone screws on Medicaid that like harmed people and like we're getting kickbacks. Yeah. And also like crooked, crooked, crooked stuff. And he's with the Vatican, right? And, th and they're going to like come and tell you about depression, even though they've like set up all these crooked businesses on the side. Yeah. And so like we like, it feels like this is a spiritual engagement like this is but all of the institutions have been fully corrupted. Yeah, and it's not that we're saying anything bad about spirituality or you know, a no. connection with the divine. It's that they're inverting that. Yes. And making it into a, essentially a corrupt business. Yes. Blockchain, the bishops in charge, the yeah. big book of oral, moral economic decision-making with corporate fascist America. I mean, that's, that's what it feels like to me anyway. And so I see these things like, you know, Unite to Prevent. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm following also, there's something called Composite Apps that's doing apps tracking injections in Ocean County, Los Angeles. And that's a hotbed of impact investing and seeing how these medical passport systems, biometrics are coming together. And yeah, like people have to understand the finance side, but then I think what I'm, I'm better understanding about the terrain theory, about our webs of relationship, about water, about nanotech, about these nano robotic and electrical systems and chronic illness and, and potential mental, inflicted mental illness is that um, their, their goal is to change what we understand life to be. Yes. And then we have to be very clear because it won't just be people, it will be all of natural life. And if we're a good relative, we have to actually interrogate that. Got it. All right, any final bits of wisdom for our listeners? Well, so I've been doing these dandelion things. I don't know if you followed along, but the dandelions came to me as my symbol of the summer, summer of healing and mending. And so we're, we're doing revocations of consent around these various places. We started out at the Council on Foreign Relations on Easter Sunday. There were 25 of us. And there's these great folks in New York who are organizing against Excelsior Pass in the city. So, um, I'm you know, the dandelions is a medicinal um, also, Hecate fed Theseus on dandelion greens for 30 days before he fought the Minotaur. And so I think that's Wall Street, right? That's this crazy, like weird life thing. So send me your dandelions on my blog, which is Wrench in the Gears. I have, it's called the Dandelion Manifesto. And I have my address and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like take dandelions and water and I'm gonna scrub the threshold of Bloomberg Philanthropies and the Rockefeller Foundation. And I'm gonna try to put some sort of energetic imprint of like a different world in that space. Got it. So, uh, yeah. Let's, okay, let's in the gears. Yeah. Uh, Dandelion Initiative, here we come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Allison, we'll do this again. Thank All you. All right. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Tom. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.